So I'm going to be sharing the word. It's always a joy to come and share the word with you. Uh, I love not only preaching the word, but studying the word. And, um, and I put in usually 20, 25 hours on my messages each week. In fact, I was this morning, I was just kind of reviewing my message early in the morning, and then in the later part of the morning, I was preparing uh, to put the final touches on my message next week. And I'm actually got the third week also in the works. And uh, so it's a great joy. You know, this is what God has called me, you know, to. This is the major part of my ministry, the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. So I bring you the Word of God again today with, uh, with, with really great joy. I actually enjoy preparing messages almost as much as I enjoy preaching them. Really, it's close. It's kind of a 50, you know, 1 to 49, you know, type of ratio with that. So stand with me for the reading of the Word. Today's message is titled, Yeshua the Messiah, the God-Man. We're in Mark chapter 12, verse 35 through 37. In the Word of our Lord. Then Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, how is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the Son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Spirit, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore David himself calls him Lord. How is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord God, this morning, Lord, open up all our hearts to your word. Lord, there there are people who will watch this message, Lord God, in, in upcoming weeks and upcoming years. Lord God, on the website, YouTube, Facebook, I pray, Lord God, that they all would come to the place where their confession would be as Peter's, that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and that by their faith in you, Lord Jesus, they would receive the gift of salvation. Oh, Father God, use this message here today at Living Word Community Church, and Lord God, use it in these upcoming weeks and years for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Jesus is quoting from what psalm? Who knows? Psalm, nope, it's not Psalm 2. We covered Psalm 2 a couple weeks ago. It's Psalm 110, which is the most quoted psalm of all the psalms in the New Testament. Peter Peter quotes it in Acts chapter 2. Uh, Paul quotes it in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And the author of Hebrews quotes it twice in the book of Hebrews. So, again, let me give to you the, the setting, right? Context, context, context. You, we need to know where we are in the scriptures. So Jesus, okay, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this kind of, again, this is the traditional, non-traditional view, but he entered into Jerusalem likely on Monday. People are crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. On Tuesday, he went into the temple. He drove out the money changers and the sacrifice sellers. And he said to them, you have turned my father's house, which was meant to be a house of prayer, into a den of thieves. On Monday, he shares the Lord's Supper. On Friday, he gives himself on the cross, six hours, and he dies and says it is done. On Sunday, he is raised from the dead. On Saturday, if you were here on Wednesday, you know what happened on Saturday. And if you don't know what happened on Saturday, boy, you should really learn what happened on Saturday by listening to that message. So what day is it? Who knows what day it is? It's, it's Wednesday. And on Wednesday, Jesus, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world, is now being examined, just as it tells us in Exodus chapter 12. He would be examined and the Lamb would be examined to see if there is any blemish. So the Pharisees and Herodians come 
and they ask him about paying taxes to Caesar. He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's. Then the Sadducees came and write, what did the Sadducees come with? Who said that? They came with cockamamie. <laughs> That's what it was about a woman who was married to seven brothers, right? And it's just this cockamamie, nutty story. And then, as we looked at last week, the scribes came and they asked him about the greatest commandment. And he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, is the greatest commandment. And it tells us, right, right in the verse, before what I had just read to you, Mark chapter 12, 34, but after that, no one dared question him. I don't know if you've ever had people like that come to you and maybe they want to confuse you or convert you or try to make them what they are. Now, so the Jehovah Witnesses, through the years, right, and it was a period, the Jehovah Witnesses, first they would come to my house with two. And I, I have a New World Translation, which is theirs, which is a distortion of uh, true, our true Bible. I would rip it out, I would sit with them, and basically I would confound them. And they would say, we're coming back with, uh, with an elder. And they would then bring the elder. And then they would say, no, no, we're coming back now with one of the elder elders. And after three, they would put a mark on my house. They don't come anymore. So when they come, I just saw them. I just saw them in the neighborhood the other day, and they walked right by my house. So there's a mark there. Don't go to that location. So that's kind of what Jesus did here. He, he confounded the Pharisees, Herodians, Sadducees, and scribes. Now, Jesus begins to expound on Psalm 110, and he talks here about the Messiah, and he asks them this question. In, in verse 35, how is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? The Jewish people in Jesus' day, and for the most part today, there are, there are obviously we have Jewish believers here in the congregation this morning, they believe that the Messiah would be a man, a gifted man. He would be a great leader. He would be a great military man. He would be a man of might, man of influence, man of power. And that's, that's all true. That's all true about Messiah. But it was not a complete answer. So when you go through, when you go through Tanakh, Old Testament, you will see multiple passages that talk about Messiah. So in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5 through 6, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch. A branch would grow out of David, a descendant of righteousness, a king. Messiah shall be a king. He shall be a descendant of David, shall reign and prosper, and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. He's going to, to establish right justice. He's going to establish justice through judgment and righteousness. And in his days, Judah will be saved. He will save Israel. And they believed he would save Israel, but not the rest of us. And Israel will dwell safe, safely. He will provide safety and prosperity. Now watch this, though. They, they, missed, they missed that last part of the verse. Now, this is his name by which he will be called, right? They believed he would be a man. But what does it say there? The Lord our righteousness, it, uh, the word Lord is Yahweh. <laughs> That's the key word that the Jews use for God. He will be the Lord our righteousness. What does that tell us? Not only would he be a man, not only would he be a descendant of David, not only would he be a great leader, but he would also be God. 
that he would be God. So, um, again, um, I just skipped that. that. That's Jeremiah chapter 23, 5 and 6. Psalm 89, 3. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David, your seed, a descendant of David, I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. Selah. Again, that, that from, the, from David would come a descendant who would be Messiah. Uh, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse and a branch. So the rod, the rod from the stem of Jesse is who? That's David. And from a branch, from David, a branch, and that is, that is a word, the, the word Nazar is the word um, that a branch, shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So again, Messiah would be a descendant of David. So when Jesus came, what you see in Matthew chapter 1 verse 1, the record of the genealogy of David, Jesus the Messiah, right? The son of David, the son of Abraham. He had to be a descendant of David. Now I want to show you, I want to show you something unique. If you, you study with me here on Wednesdays, we've, we've covered this. So, Messiah had to come from David. So when you look through the genealogy, and this would be from David and goes down to the genealogy of Joseph, right, Joseph was Jesus' stepfather. He was not his biological father. He was his legal father. And it's important to look here that, that essentially through Joseph, okay, through Solomon, that meant the legal, the legal right of Jesus, okay, but it didn't meet the biological DNA right of Jesus. So if you, if you see, there are some rabbis who say Jesus could not possibly be the Messiah because his father was Joseph. Now, it's, uh, there, there's another in interesting. Notice in yellow, Jehoiachin. Jehoiachin or Conaniah or Jedekiah, okay, when, depending, he, he went by a number of different names. He was an evil king who God cursed and said that none of your sons will ever sit on the throne as a king of Israel. Which causes, again, a major problem coming through Joseph. So Jesus could not be the biological Messiah related to David through Solomon. Okay? So then you go to the genealogy in Luke. But notice, in the genealogy of Luke, it's not through Solomon, it's through David's son Nathan. And this just solves the, this solves the whole biological problem because through Nathan, where does it come to him? Where does it identify? Through Mary and the virgin birth. So Jesus, through Mary, all the way again through the lineage to Nathan and then to David, has in him the DNA of King David, which he had to have. That's a, that's a, a very a very strong point. So Jesus here. Again, in the context of Matthew chapter 12, 36 and 37, for David himself said by the Holy Spirit, the Lord said to my Lord. So he's saying here, under the inspiration of the Spirit, I think he makes this very clear, because there are, again, Sadducees and Pharisees and scribes and Herodians. He makes it very clear that David said this under the inspiration of the Spirit. And the word Lord, right, the Lord said to my Lord, what's he that God is speaking to himself? He's having a personal conversation with himself. 
And it's, it's curios and curion. The Lord said to my Lord, God said to God. If you go to Psalm 110, verse 1 and 2, the Hebrew says the Lord, and the word there is Yahweh. That is the most used and common name. People, you talk to you, what is God's name? They would say Yahweh. Okay, so you say the, the Jehovah Witnesses say, say Jehovah. Jehovah was a Greek translation by um, 70, the 70 elders who got together, 70 scribes who got together, they translated because the Greek, Greek language was permeating the world. A lot of Jews weren't speaking Hebrew anymore, so they translated Jehovah. The, the true pure name of God is Yahweh. And Yahweh said to Adonai, God spoke to Adonai, another name that's used for, for God. It means Lord Sovereign. God said to God. What is that? It's the Father speaking to the Son. That's the point Jesus is making. Jesus, Jesus you know, people, why do I preach this way? Why do I use verses to interpret Scripture, Scripture to interpret Scripture? Jesus was an expository preacher. I think you see that here. And uh, the, the apostles were expository preachers. You see that very clear in the book of Acts. And here, Jesus is expounding, okay? He's expounding, he's explaining Psalm 110. And he, he's digging. You've got you to do a little bit. He's digging into the language, right? He's digging into the, into the words and into the, the content, saying, God spoke to God. The Father spoke to the Son. Now you may look at that and say, then how can Jews not believe? Because for the most part, they don't study the Tanakh. They study right, tradition, the Talmud. They study the Mishnah. They're studying the interpretations of the rabbis. That's one reason. Another reason is there have been rabbis who, again, were very clearly understood what Jesus was saying. And they basically came up with all types of cockamamie. So they said, David here is talking to his son Solomon. What Jewish father will call his son God? <laughs> right? I mean, what person would call their, son's God, their son God? And uh, others said it, it, it was um, basically applied to Melchizedek, or it was applied to Judas Maccabees, who um, you don't find in the Bible, but you find in Jewish tradition, and you find that in the, in the whole Hanukkah story. So Jesus here is saying he is... The Meshach, he, he is Messiah. He is the Messiah, that he is the descendant of David, but that he's also what? That he's God, that he's the Son of God, right? And again, they did not see the Messiah as the Son of God. They did not see the Messiah as God, nor did they see him as the Savior of men's souls. They saw him as the Savior of Israel. So they, they, they essentially, they, they rejected him of, you know, of this. So Jesus, again, that he is the son of David, that he's truly man, and he has the DNA of David within him. He is, he is the king, he is the warrior, he's the liberator, he's the leader. And the Jews were looking at him, but he's also the savior of mankind and God in the form of man. And that's where this conflict comes in because the Jewish leaders did not believe that he was God, nor did they believe that he was the Messiah, nor did they believe that he was essentially the Savior of mankind. So when, you, when you're going through the Gospels, you see that Jesus affirmed 
that he is God. I just want to show you a few passages, and you'll see that Jesus affirmed that he is the Savior. So, John chapter 8, 56 through 59. Again, in his debate with Pharisees, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? By the way, he was only 30, or 33 at the time. And Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Abraham lived 1,500 years before, <laughs> before Jesus walked the earth. You understand what he's saying there? He's saying he's eternal, right? Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them and so passed by. Why are they going to stone him? They're going to stone him for blasphemy because he claimed to be God. And he is here saying again, I am, and it is a reference to what else? What did God, when when Moses said at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, what's your name? I need need a name. And he said, I am. I am who I am. Try saying that and don't spit on the people's necks in front of you. And I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it, but that he is God. Again, you see it repeated in John chapter 10, verse 30 to 33. I and the Father are one. And then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. And here Jesus answered, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? And the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself God. Right? They clearly understood this. And then in John 8, 5.18, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father and making himself equal with God. So he claimed, he claimed to be God. In Luke chapter 19.10, number of other verses, he not only claimed to be God, but the Savior of all mankind. So in Luke 9, uh, 19.10, he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. So not as he claimed to be Messiah, not only does he claim to be Yahweh, Adonai, but he also claims to be the Savior of mankind, saving people from what? From hell. From damnation. In John 3.16, again, Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So here, the, the Jewish people, you've heard me say this before, they wanted a Messiah who would shed Roman blood. But he came to shed what? His own blood. They wanted, they wanted a Messiah who would conquer Rome. What did he come to conquer? Our own hearts. Right? And they wanted a Savior to destroy the godless Gentiles, <laughs> most of us. And what did he come to do? Save us, godless Gentiles. Right? That's what he came for. But again, see, they, they, they have everything made up in their... You ever see people, and you get this with people in politics, you get this with people in religion, they make up their minds. And they, they just, I mean, it's solidified. And they're just blind, they're deaf, and they, they, you know, they cannot receive it. The purpose, the purpose of the Bible, the ultimate purpose of the Bible, is that we would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that we would believe Jesus is God, and that we would believe Jesus is Savior, and so by believing we would be saved. John makes this point in John chapter 20, 30-31, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, what? why? 
that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name, that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the promised Messiah, the, the Son of God, God, and that by doing so you would have salvation. So you understand, when you go through the scriptures, the Old Testament is essentially, the, the, the theme is salvation prepared. It is God preparing salvation from Genesis to Malachi. When you get to the Gospels, it is salvation accomplished. You go to Acts, it's salvation proclaimed. The epistles is salvation explained. And then ultimately in the book of the Revelation, it is the fulfillment, salvation fulfilled. But the whole purpose of the Bible, that, that main purpose, is to bring us to salvation. The 66 books, right, written over the course of 2,000 years by 40 different authors. The purpose is to bring us to salvation, to bring us to that place and to that confession where, like Peter, when Jesus asked, you know, who do you say I am? He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are Messiah. You are God. And the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes hated him for that. They hated that he claimed to be the Messiah. They hated that he claimed to be the son of David, that he claimed to be God, and that he claimed to be the savior of mankind. Now they hated him for a lot of other reasons. He exposed their hypocrisy. He exposed their fraud. He exposed their religiosity. He publicly denounced them. We'll see this next week. We'll look at, I mean, Jesus denounced them. The last words that he spoke to um the Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, and, and you see that in Matthew 23. I mean, he just denounced them, but they hated him for all that. They hated him because he exposed their corruption and their hypocrisy. So again, in, in verse 1, come back to Mark, the Lord Yahweh said to my Lord Adonai, he says, sit at my right hand. And uh, what is that again? That is a, an, an invitation. The right hand of God is the right hand of power. It's the right hand of authority. It's the, the, the place of kingship, honor, majesty. Uh, it's, it's the place of equality. A, a king who would have his son at his right hand, that son had the same honor and authority and power as the king. And again, Jesus, again, this is a, a verse, sit at my right hand, that he is God. A verse that you know kind of elaborates on this, the kenosis passage in Philippians chapter two, nine through eleven. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, that He is He is God. So I, I want to do something with you for the next few minutes. I'm going to get hypothetical with you, okay? I want, to, I want to make a number of hypothetical, okay, propositions to you, and that's what it would be hypothetical, is to propose an idea or a hypothesis, a proposition, okay, a theory. And I want to make a, a, few, a few of these to you uh, about, you know, concerning Jesus. So the first hypothetical, if Jesus is the Messiah, if he is God, the son, I would, I would think, right, that his life would have been predicted beforehand. It would have been pre-announced. And, and that would just simply make it so that there would be evidence so that we can really verify if he truly is God incarnate, God in the form of man. Because there have been many people who have come and said that they came from God, some claiming to be God. 
And, you know, you can look at, you know, you get into religions, you get into the cults, and there are many, many, and there are many people walking the earth right now who claim that they're God, they claim that they're Jesus. So, again, I think that in this, in this hypothetical, you know, proposition, that if he was God, I think that he would have given us, right, verification or prophecy or predictions made before. And right, you hear me talk about this often, it's a big part of my ministry. There are 365 predictions that Jesus fulfilled in the Tanakh in the Old Testament. If you'd like, I can give you a list of them. If you can contact the church, or we can, we can email it to you, and it's a great study, right, Faith? You go through, go through it the next year. Study one a day. Boy, I'll tell you, it's going to build your faith and get you rooted, really rooted in the, the amazing prophecies of God. So there, there are 365 prophecies, and, and, and by the way, there may be more. <laughs> we, we think that's what we've come across. And then there are 40 typologies. A typology would be Jesus, right? Like the, the tabernacle is a typology of Jesus. The Passover lamb is a typology of Jesus. So you have about 40 typologies. So th those are throughout, you know, the scriptures. His birth is predicted. His ministry is predicted. His miracles are predicted. His death is predicted. His resurrection is predicted. His ascension is predicted. And then there are a bunch of verses that he has not fulfilled about his second coming. And you can get into that and really understand what, you know, what's coming soon to a world, in, a world near you. So I'll give, you, I'll give you a few examples. Micah 5.2, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler of Israel, ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old and from everlasting. By the way, what does that describe? Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, that he would be the ruler, he would be the Messiah, and notice that he would also be everlasting, that he would be God. Isaiah chapter 9, 6 and 7 for unto us a child is born, Messiah would be born a child, and that he would be a male child, unto us a son is given, and the government would be upon his shoulder. Again, that's talking about him as the Messiah King. But then watch what it says, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, that he would be God. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order and to establish it with judgment and justice from this time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts uh, will perform this. You know, I, I, I don't know if it, I think it was this, this uh, December, I think I preached on that over the course of what? It was about five weeks on, uh, on Wednesday. Such a great, I mean, it, I, I, love, I love that passage. Isaiah 7.14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's the virgin birth predicted. That's 700 years before Jesus was born. And again, that his name would be Emmanuel, which translated right is what? God with us. It, his, his ministry, uh, uh, his miracle ministry is predicted in numerous places, but Isaiah chapter 35.4-6, Say to those who are uh, fearful-hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with uh, the recompense of God. Recompense, this is reward for the suffering. Think about people's suffering, sickness, demon possession, disease, oppression, religious oppression. Notice what it says, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped and the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb shall sing for water shall burst forth in the wilderness and the streams in the desert. When John was in prison and, and John is, again, he's got that, he's got, you know, this great man of God. He's the greatest who has ever lived, the greatest of all the prophets. 
I love John the Baptist. He wasn't a reed swayed by the wind. Right? He, wasn't, he was just this, this great man of God. And he's in prison. He's kind of wondering what's going on because, again, his concept was the Messiah would come. If Jesus is the Messiah, he's going to liberate us. He's going to, he's going to do the Romans in. And John's in prison. And so what does he do? He says to a couple of his disciples, go and ask Jesus, are you the one? And what did Jesus say? Go back and tell John what you see. The blind see, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the demons are cast out. That's, a, again, that's his ministry. Predicted, right in Isaiah, 700 years before he walked the earth. Psalm 22, verse 16 through 18. This, this, this blows my mind. There, there are about 18 prophecies fulfilled by Jesus in Psalm 22. It says, for dogs have surrounded me. But I think there's about five of them right here in these, these, these few passages. For dogs have surrounded me, a congregation of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So you see a number of different prophecies fulfilled at the cross by Jesus. But they pierce my hands and feet. This is a thousand years. This is written by David a thousand years before Jesus walked the earth. Crucifixion wasn't invented until about 5th century B.C. by the Persians. It then was adopted by the Greeks, and then the Romans perfected it. It wasn't invented. They didn't pierce hands and feet and nail people to the crosses when David had written this. And again, it's just, it's just a mind-blowing prophecy that predicts the very crucifixion. And by the way, the crucifixion of Jesus is graphically laid out in Psalm 22 and Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. So again, to me, if God was going to enter the world, I think he would pre-announce it, right? Just so we could verify that it was him, because there's so many others who come who are false, right? We can just really, we can really verify it. Okay, number two, second hypothesis, right? If Jesus is the Messiah, if he is God incarnate, I think he would have taken the titles of God, Right? And what you see throughout the Gospels, he's called the Rock, the Stone, the Savior, the Redeemer, the Holy One, Lord of Hosts, King, First and Last, Light, Lawgiver, Bread of Life, Way, Truth, Life, Resurrection and Life, and he is called the Lord of the Sabbath. It would just make sense, right? That he would basically, right? Those names would be attributed to him and that he would claim them. Uh, third, a hypothesis that if Jesus was God, if he is the Messiah, then it would make sense that he would live a sinless life, a perfect life, a righteous life, right? a, a, a holy fashion life with no sin. And there, there again, there is this overwhelming evidence of his perfection. Now, you have friends, right? You hang out a lot with them. I mean, think of this. Jesus hung out with the apostles for three and a half years every day. Well, you hang around with somebody, right? You, you start to see <laughs> they get a little irritable. Even the most holy people. My, um, my bishop, Dallas Mucci, who is one of the most wonderful men of God, he was my mentor. I love him with all my heart. He's with the Lord. He was there working with me, planting the church. And um, just a really holy man. And I'm a young buck of a preacher. I mean, I am a young buck with a pink carnation and a pickup truck, right? You know, that, 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 that song. I mean, I'm just like, you know, and I can be hot-headed and passionate. And, uh, 
what was it? Yeah, I drove the Astro van, and um, uh, River Mucci. I never, you know, never heard him say a bad word about anybody. Never heard him. I mean, I mean, just a godly man. And we had to go before the town, and um, things were heated up. Going for, we actually owned property around the corner. We're going for, to put a building there, and it ended up that the person who owned this entire complex sold it to us. But we were we were going for the building, and it was like really heated in town, and there were people there. They they accused us. This was their their main attack. We were a Korean church. We didn't have one Korean member. We have Korean members now. It was racism, racism. You know that, that these people, but they didn't want us to to build in this building. And we I was on the I was on the nightly news. I was on the morning news, and this whole thing was like really stirred stirred up around the country. So. Um, Dallas Mucci, he comes to my house, has dinner with Sue and I. We're coming to the town meeting. We know it's going to be very heated. There's probably about 60 people from the town who don't want us there, and there's, there's 70 members of the church who, who are going to be in that meeting. They had to move it from the, the borough um, meeting hall. They had to put it up in the stairs in a gym. And um, Reverend Mucci says to me, now, you know, you can get a little heated. You know, you can get a little hot, so you need to stay really calm. So go into the meeting, and I'm calm. I'm calm. Man, I'm just at peace. She's presenting our case. And this, this woman comes up to Dallas and she's got her cane and she starts yelling at him about us, you know, having a, a piece of property and we would have come off the tax roll, which meant would have meant it would have cost her about twenty-five cents more a year. Okay, but she's complaining about it. And she has the cane and she hit him in the chest with it. And um now she's this little old lady. So <laughs> snatched the cane and he shook it in her face and he yelled at her. He didn't curse at her, but he got heated up and yelled at her and everybody in the room stopped as he was doing it. So uh, it ends up, neither say, we ended up, God blessed us, he led us, where he guides, he provides, he brought us to this building. But in the midst of that, when I got back in the car with him, I said, you told me not to get heated. And he was embarrassed. <laughs> he was embarrassed. So um, just... When you're with somebody, and your wife or your husband, right there, the, the, I mean, they can, the, your kids. Frank, did you ever see me do anything? Uh, my son's sitting with us today. He's here with us from Pennsylvania with his beautiful wife, Mariah, and his beautiful granddaughter, oh, my beautiful granddaughter, Charlotte. Did you ever see me? And, and he likes, he likes to, I'm, I'm getting a lot of kooky feedback here, but um, he likes to point out that his dad, right, is, is not sinless. <laughs> so look, look what Peter said. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, 21-22, For to this you are called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. By the way, John says the same thing in John chapter, uh, I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 3, verse 5. They never saw Jesus sin. Which again, that would make sense, right? If he was God. Another, another uh, hypothesis that I'd like to present to you. If, if Jesus was God, right? And he was incarnate as a man. And I think we would expect his words to be the most um, amazing, greatest words that have ever been spoken. Those, those are the works of Aristotle and, and uh, Plato. I just want you to notice the, you know, the volumes. So you've got, you got a, a few million words there that have been spoken. 
Jesus spoke 3,146 words in the gospel. 3,146, not millions. So when, when you, if you have a red letter edition, and then you, you have to take into account that there's duplication, right? Because um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they, and, and John, they, they tell some of the same stories over and over again, some of the same parables. But if you have a, a red letter edition and you just were to take, right, those few gospels, I'm talking like 3,000, uh, 31,000 words, who has a greater influence in the world right now? Jesus? Who has had the greatest influence in the world over the last 2,000 years? Jesus or Plato, Aristotle or Socrates? Or really, for that matter, you can get everybody, every, every book that has been written compared to just really these, these few words that Jesus has spoken. And again, the, the, the most um, amazing, the most fantastic, the greatest words that have ever been spoken, right? And right there in the red letters, the most influential words in history. And again, again, hypothetically, that, that would make sense. Another, another hypothetical is if he were God, again, in the form of man, we would expect him to manifest the very attributes of God, uh, the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the power of God, the righteousness of God, the holiness of God, the omniscience of God. And again, you see that repeated over and over and over again throughout the Gospels. Even on the cross, right, he manifests here the grace and the mercy of God. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they're, they're all standing around there. Understand, when, when a person was crucified, and you can see this somewhat in the thieves, they would, they would curse their, their, their crucifiers. They would spit at them. They would, they, and Jesus is up there forgiving and showing love and showing grace, demonstrating again the very attributes of God. Another uh, hypothesis, if Jesus was God, I think you would expect him to demonstrate the very power of God. And, uh, you know, when we, when we look at, you, you hear of miracles, signs, and wonders, and there's a lot of confusion in the church about what they are, and some people divide them. It, they, essentially, a miracle is something supernatural. A wonder is, it blows your mind. <laughs> People's minds were blown when he was raising people from the dead, when he was healing blind people, when he was multiplying the fish and the loaves. When he's walking on water. A sign is something that points. It is a miracle that points to something greater. And every miracle that you see that Jesus committed always pointed to something greater. So when Jesus calmed the storm, okay, calms the storm, multiplies the fish and the loaves, walks on water, what were they signs pointing to that essentially he is God over the natural elements. He's the God over the molecules. He's the God over the atoms. When, when he raised the dead, it shows that he is the God over death. When he was healing people, that he is the God over sickness. When he was casting out demons, that he's the God over the spiritual realm. Or it just would make sense. Another hypothesis. If he was God, in the form of man, it would make sense that he would have demonstrated God's power to forgive sins. Because only God can forgive sins. And what do we see? In, in Mark chapter 2, verse 5 through 7, the paralytic that they lowered down through Peter's roof, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God? They got it! <laughs> well, they didn't get it. 
that only he could forgive sins. Another hypothesis, if he was the son of God, if he's God in the form of man, again, hypothetically, it would make sense that he would have been worshipped and he would receive that worship. Now, when the centurion knelt down at Peter's feet in Acts chapter 10, what did Peter tell him to do? He said, get up, man, I'm a man just like you. And when John bowed down to the angel in the book of the Revelation, what did John say? Right? The angel, what did the angel say to John? He said, no, 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 we're just servants of the Lord. You don't worship each other. Yet, people bowed down and worshipped Jesus, and he received it. So, a few, a, few different, a few different passages here. I'm getting too excited with my clicker. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. The, uh, the women, uh, Matthew 28, 8 and 9, on the resurrection morning, and as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice, so they came and held him by his feet and worshipped him. He didn't say, No, 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 right? Don't worship me, just you know, worship God. He, he, he accepted worship. Now I'll give you one more. One more. I believe that, that it, again, uh, 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 something hypothetical. If Jesus was the Messiah, if he was God, I believe there would have been some hidden evidences. I know someone I'm going to say to you, those of you who studied with me, I've revealed you know, some of these things. And they're things that we, we, again, as we study and we dig, we discover. But hidden evidences, not unsearchable evidences, we're not teaching Gnosticism here. But hidden evidence is that when you dig, right, the parables. Why did Jesus speak in parables? It's coded language for believers. And the lazy, the unbelievers, the ones who don't want to dig, it was basically to really kind of ward them off. But... Uh, when you, when you look through the scriptures, there are, again, these, these hidden evidences, like, like the heptatic structure. I've taken you through the heptatic structure of Genesis 1-1, of Matthew chapter 1, of Mark chapter 16. They're heptatic structure. If you've never studied the heptatic structure, you need to go, go and begin to study it in scripture. So it's, it's absolutely, it's mind-blowing, it's miraculous, and it's just something that... All the computers today could not do, and it, again, it gives evidence that the scriptures have been put together, and there's been an architect behind it of a divine mind. But I want to give you—I just want to give you one. Some of you have, have heard me share this with you. So, when Jesus was on the cross, okay, Pilate put a sign above his head, and he wrote in Latin, Greek, and Hebrew, "Jesus the Nazarene, a King of the Jews." When you look at it in the Hebrew, okay, and Hebrew is always read from right to left. So Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews, Yeshua HaNazari, Vamelech HaYehidim. And if you take the first letters, the first Hebrew letters of those four words, it's Yahweh. Now the, the Jews would not spell God's name with a vowel in between it, because they believe God's name is incredibly sacred. It's kind of a beautiful thing. But Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, was hung over the cross. Some people think Pilate did that intentionally, knowing and that he had come to some kind of faith, and again, some type of sick faith, believing that Jesus was God in the form of man. Kind of amazing. 
And you see, again, and those of you who have studied with me, we have, we have gone through and we have weaved, right? I have weaved you and taken you through these things through the years. I have a, I have a series that I put together that we will, we will, I've been working on this actually before COVID. It is called uh, Yeshua in Torah. And it's, it's Jesus in the Torah, literally chapter by chapter, going through Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And um, just showing, you know, showing that. And it's really, again, it's, it's, it's truly amazing to, you know, to see that. But um, there have been some people who have written books on it. Uh, Rush Limbaugh's brother, who gave his life to the Lord, wrote a, wrote a book. It's a good book. But, um, you know, he hits on a few, a few key things. But, I mean, it's, as I've been doing this and studying this for years, about 40 years now, it's overwhelming. And I want to produce it and I want to get it out. I want to get it out on, uh, on YouTube. You know, people can, you can see it because it will, it will strengthen your faith. So he, here we are. Let me give, give you this. The end of the story. And um, it tells us in verse 37. Oh, I'm skipping around here. And, and the common people heard him gladly. By the way, the, the Pharisees, Sadducees, Herodians, and scribes, they didn't hear him at all. Well, I, I'm hard on them. Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, and there are some Pharisees who seem to have come to believe in him in the book of Acts. So the Holy Spirit was working there. But I just want you to know, the common people heard him gladly. I don't know what you think of that verse. I, I personally think it's pathetic. Right? He just said that he is God. That, that he is Adonai. And they kind of were being, it's like they were enjoying listening to him, being entertained. They're, they're listening with delight, but they're not worshiping him, falling on their knees and surrendering to him. It, 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 it does remind me of a lot of the church today churches. I preached in over a hundred of them before I started Living Word. So people come to church to be entertained. Well, this was a good message. They're, they're, they, they enjoy, they, they've enjoyed it. But have they come to a place where they've worshipped God? Where they've, they've bowed their life before Jesus and offered up their life and their heart to Him? So I, I look at this and it, it, to me, it's again, it's, it, it's kind of it's kind of pathetic. You know, they're, they're fans, not followers. They're fans. Hell will be filled with fans. Heaven will be filled with followers. So our, our, our keynotes here, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. There it is. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is God. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, which also implies that he would have had to have died on the cross for our sins. But that's the road to salvation. Confess, not lip service. Confession here is a covenant with God. It's a commitment to God. It's that, that Jesus is God. And that he is, you know, the, he is the God of my life. And to believe with conviction. That he died on the cross for you and was raised from the dead. So in, in just a moment, we're going to do the Lord's Supper. And I want to I tie this in to the Lord's Supper. So the Last Supper, and 
I think people, they look at the Last Supper and they only look at the communion or the, or the you know, the part where Jesus broke the bread and took the cup. The, the Last Supper is graphically described from John chapter 13 through John 17. So in that entire context, Jesus washed the disciples' feet, Judas betrayed, kisses, you know, or Judas, you know, leaves to betray Jesus and then set him up in the garden with the, you know, with the kiss. He, he gives a, a really deep um, teaching about the Holy Spirit. He talks about, you know, the vine and the branches. Uh, he then prays for himself. He prays for them. And he prays for us. John 17, you want to see a beautiful prayer? Jesus prays for you. And he also, in the midst of that, in John chapter 14, he basically talks about himself being God. Now, the supper ended with him instituting the Lord's Supper. So I just want you to, I want to read this to you. In John chapter 14, verse 7 through 9, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also, and from now on you know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it will be sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? He's saying, I am God. I'm Yahweh. I, I am the creator. I am the sustainer. I am the, the God, uh, the great I am of the burning bush. The Lord and giver of life. Now watch this. He affirms to them one last time that he is God. And then he takes the bread he breaks and he says, take and eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. God incarnate gave his body for a sinner like me. And then he takes the cup and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. His blood is his life. The life that he was incarnate with, right? That life now he was going to lay down for sinners like us. See the significance of him being God. So when you take when you take the bread today, remember God, right? In his incarnate form died for you. God in his incarnate form gave his blood for you, his life. And we do that remembering this incredible act. More incredible than anything. Right? So let's, uh, let's take of our cup and take of the uh, bread. I'll ask the musicians, just come up, be still for a moment. So on that night, the Lord Jesus, he took right, the bread, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said to them, take this, all of you, and eat this, 
for this is my body, do this in remembrance of me. And in remembrance, Lord, of your body that hung on that cross six hours that Friday, that great sacrifice that hung between heaven and earth, between a holy God and sinful men to reconcile us. Reconcile us, Lord, to our Father. We remember you, Lord. Let's partake. And then the Lord took the cup. He gave it to his disciples and he said, Take this, all of you, and drink this, for this is my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. He said, Do this in remembrance of me. So we remember the Lord's blood, which again was his life, that was, that was poured out for us. That's life abundant, and that is life eternal. Lord, as we partake, we, Lord God, drink into our souls your life. Renew us in it. Lord, let it just manifest all the power of joy and love and peace. Let us all partake. So as we, we close in worship and song, we will open, if you'd like to come forward to the altars, the Holy Spirit is working on your life and your heart. You're welcome to come, kneel before him, worship him, for he is our Lord and our God. Okay, Kim.
Your goodness is running. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. When my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. again your goodness your goodness is running after it's running after me your goodness is running after it's running after me with my life laid down I'm surrendered now I give you everything your goodness is running after it's running after Jesus, you are good. Father, Abba, Lord, you're good. And Lord, Holy Spirit, you're good. Go with us all, Lord God. Bless our day, but Lord, let us be a blessing to you. And bless our week. Father, watch over us. Protect us. Lord God, deliver us from evil. Provide for us, Lord God. Bless the work of our hands, our marriages, our families. Watch over our children, Lord God, as they're going back to school. Keep their precious little minds safe and their bodies And go with us, Lord Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen. God bless you all.